This is the Huddle.com LifeCast. We're talking to inspired and insightful people who have faced life's greatest challenges and broken through. Welcome, everyone, to the Huddle.com LifeCast. I'm your host, Mark Stolo. I'm joined today by Alana Blumenkrantz. Alana is a mental health and addiction therapist, and she's also among our network of Huddle Pros, which means that she provides support to members in our community, and she's also available for one-to-one counseling through the Huddle community. Alana, welcome to the Huddle LifeCast. Hi, thanks for having me. So we're going to talk today about um, what I call the Macaulay Culkin problem, <laughs> <laughs> which for those of you who uh, I just maybe made myself feel a little bit old, but we're talking about <laughs> like being home alone. Um, the pandemic has created this rampant Macaulay Culkin effect where people find themselves feeling very alone at home. And I don't mean that just literally in the sense that, you know, you might have family around you. You might be living with a friend or a roommate. But just the effect of being home more can make people feel very alone. You know, isolation is a very complex phenomenon. Sometimes we think of isolation as just being alone in a space by ourselves. But alone is also a state of mind. It's a state of being. It's a feeling of how you're relating to the world around you. So I want to spend some time with you talking about this experience of feeling home alone, feeling isolated, feeling like your world is contracting. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing either with your client work or just some feelings and thoughts you have about um, why this is a scary time for people from the perspective of feeling like they're, they're living a very solitary life. Well, I think that this has been a problem that's been occurring for so long, and it's actually a topic that we don't discuss enough. Um so, you know, specifically with a lot of the clients that I have seen in the past, they talk a lot about this fear of being alone. And then they describe a lot of these strategies that they use to not have those feelings. So they talk about um, incessantly speaking on the phone just to fill in the time and the silence. Or they'll talk about coming home and turning on the TV just so it creates a a way of having somebody in the room with them or then it goes into behaviors of constant distraction so let's say they're you know online shopping or they might be gambling or gaming or an internet addiction and it's all these ways to just kind of fill this void of what's going on inside of us which is really this fear of being alone and i think at a time of now with isolation and quarantine and having to be in our homes and we don't have all these outlets that we've had before, it's becoming even more daunting for people and they don't have those skills as much to distract from what they're trying to get away from. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talk a lot about humans as social beings and I think most of us would agree that it's pretty hardwired into our DNA because it it was also, you know, from an evolution perspective, we survived together. People will Mm -hmm. often say that the human species survived a lot of the world changes because we we learn to be collaborative, you know, we learn to be cooperative with one another. So you could talk about alone, the feeling of discomfort around aloneness from an evolutionary perspective, but I think there's a lot of other dimensions to it. Why do you think people struggle so much with the idea of 
being alone or being in their own space or having their own time with themselves? Why is that so discomforting to a lot of people? I think for a lot of us, it goes back to a lot of maybe childhood or adolescent experiences that we've had. So, you know, let's say when you were a young child and maybe with your caregivers, maybe there was abandonment that happened. And abandonment doesn't have to mean, you know, your parent left you. It could simply mean that maybe your parent was preoccupied with work and they were never really home. Or maybe you had an emotionally absent parent who was, you know, over drinking or using substances and they weren't really present. And that creates this thing that happens into adulthood where then we're seeking all these relationships to kind of fill that void that we felt when we were a child of not being looked after or soothed. And we're kind of finding different strategies to self-soothe. So, you know, we're wanting to create these connections, but we're not looking for that connection necessarily with self. We're trying to find it outside of ourselves. Right. Yeah. So kind of like this feeling of constant craving that there's, and it's interesting about the feeling of being uncomfortable when in one's own experience I sometimes liken it to like a bucket with a hole in it, right? It, it just, mm-hmm. it's always leaking no matter what you fill it with, which, yes. which is endlessly dissatisfying. And I think even at a, like, even at a basic level, I think, you know, if we analogize this, it's kind of like the instant thrill you get from buying something new and then just how quickly that thrill goes away. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. it's like waiting, 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 waiting. I've got it. I'm with it for two days. Where's my next fix? On to the next thing. Yeah. Yes. What's, next thing is- moment yeah totally so there's a there's a paradox in kind of clinging to things for comfort because you think at a very you know if we take it at a very like tier one level and someone says oh i love talking on the phone all day and uh yeah it's great to just be able to watch tv all day or yeah i like to be stimulated all the time um you know the next logical question in their mind is well what's wrong with that you know is is so the question is, is there anything wrong with that? Why is this problematic? When is it problematic? Because it's, I mean, again, we're, we're speaking in gross generalities. It's going to be different from person to person. Yes. But what's, what's the paradox in this culture of constant, the needing to be constantly distracted, constantly stimulated, where it's just like, I will do anything to avoid this feeling of quiet, alone, you know, and maybe... Some for some people, it's boredom and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it all manifests. And I think that, you know, one part, we live in a society where we're forced to be very productive people. And productivity is looked at as how much are you doing? And if you're not doing a lot of things, then you're kind of perceived as a lazy individual. And that's the last thing that we all want. So we're constantly, you know, striving and, you know, finding new projects and things to do in order to be successful. And of course, you need some of that, right, in order to, you know, cultivate a life for yourself but then it becomes really problematic when you can't sit still so when having silence becomes really scary and daunting for you and unfortunately a lot of times that's kind of running away from the things that are happening deep inside of us that we're not paying attention to so for a lot of us we've kind of created this mask that we wear where we can you know go out into the world we can entertain we can be this humorous individual but then when we come home it's like okay now what now who am i and that's when the realities of everything become really scary for us yeah so i hear you saying it's it's temporary unsustainable it's almost like we could you know as someone who's worked works in addiction we could almost think about it through an addiction lens 
right? Mm-hmm. It's en- exactly. endlessly available and never fully fulfilling. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think that a lot of people can relate to that. I mean, obviously, there's a ton of ways to fill time. Um, there's endless numbers of entertainment networks, including social networks that are designed to be endlessly entertaining, so to speak, and endlessly mm-hmm. stimulating. Um, but if you really take a step back and ask yourself, like, how satisfying am I finding this? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the pain quotient that comes with this pleasure that I'm constantly seeking? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a pretty steep price. Yes. Um, and, the, and of course, the question we start asking ourselves is, do I have to pay a price for being okay in my life? Like, is mm-hmm. there always a price tag on my joy? Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are really interesting questions to ask. So as you start like gut checking around this and, and start to come to a, get to a place where you start feeling better in your own body, better in your own skin, so to speak, you know, better in your own world and comfortable with that. Let's talk about that process. What is that process like? What are some important questions to ask yourself as you start to walk that path? So when you start to become comfortable with self? Yeah. What is it? What is a transition from discomfort with self to comfort with self look like from a kind of like a gut check perspective? What are some like key things someone is tuning into or asking themselves in that process? Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, you know, they start to look at how do I become comfortable with self? And it's not necessarily about, you know, developing hobbies or interests. It's when you're alone. It's not creating that. It's developing a greater tolerance and intimacy with self and our experiences. So it can be where you can be in a room completely alone, just yourself, and you're comfortable within that and you can sit in the silence comfortably and you can just feel what's coming up inside of your body and just describing it. So not necessarily judging it or, you know, putting pressure on yourself. It's just being aware of what's going on inside of you. Yeah. I think the greatest um, tragedy that we've imparted on like modern civilization is this idea that um, perpetual joy is always attainable right? Like if you look at, I mean, I've never ever seen an ad that's, you know, says like, you know, that mop wasn't totally fulfilling today. I'm feeling bad. (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, boy, that car ride in my fancy luxury car just didn't do it for me today. Yes. It's just, these are just not the messages we get. Um, No. The message we get is anti-aging, maximum joy, constant pleasure, Um, It's a thrill ride. If you're not doing these things, you're out of touch. You should be connected all the time. Know where Mm -hmm. your friends are. Be plugged in. It's like, whoa. And and to your earlier point, all of this, all of these messaging, these messages around productivity, right? So again, Mm -hmm. like, hey, how are you doing? I'm busy. Like busy means you're doing good, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay because I'm busy. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, you talk about like, I think of the quiet time. You talk about this quiet time and non-judgmentally being quiet. And I don't Mm want to like, I think we shouldn't gloss that over because I think there's like a lot of brilliant insight and truth in that statement. And I want to, I want to peel open that a little bit and, and Mm -hmm. help our listeners understand the difference between um, boredom and presence because they're not the same thing, right? Some people think, oh, you want me to sit quietly? That sounds boring. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because it's like, but I could be watching Netflix, 
isn't that more exciting than sitting quietly? So let's talk about the effect of sitting with one's experience, right? So one's inward experience, thoughts, feelings, mm -hmm. sensations, or one's outward experience. You know, there could be, you know, typically you would do this exercise maybe in a quiet room where you would find quiet space, but you might be distracted by things. And it could be nice things like birds chirping outside or a, a large truck driving by your house. It could be a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. what what is what's the value in becoming aware non-judgmentally of our experience which sometimes we talk about through a lens of like mindfulness or meditation but let's just talk about the value of that what does that teach us about ourselves well first it's you know regaining this awareness of our own desires of our own self image and it's everything that's outside of what's been told to us by family society and culture and it's just ex creating that silence and becoming comfortable with what's going on inside of us outside of everything else and as well by you know learning this practice because it really is a practice and it's a skill to have you can appreciate moment to moment awareness because as you had spoken about before a lot of us are in the striving of once i get this I'll be okay, but I got to keep moving on to the next thing. And we're never really satisfied in what we're receiving within that moment. But when you can come into yourself and just be present in that moment and gain that awareness, you can actually appreciate what is happening in front of you rather than what's going to be happening in the next 10 minutes from now that we don't know about and that's not in our control. Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, I could hear some people kind of maybe muttering in their minds, um, but, you know, when I get quiet, I get really anxious and I don't like anxiety. So or I get stressed. So I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. what, and I think that yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's amazing because that is what's actually telling you what's going on with you, because it's not within that moment of silence that you're having the anxiety. The anxiety is always present. You're just actually giving it that moment to actually speak to you right. but you're having the anxiety throughout the whole day you're just doing these little things to keep yourself away from it yeah. but you can only do that for so long until it presents itself so by actually having that moment of maybe where the anxiety can come to the surface that's where the work can begin because now you have the insight and awareness that that's really what's going on with you i think i think that's such a brilliant insight i mean I, i've never heard anyone frame it that way but just to kind of recapture that, because I think it's so important to underline that idea. So for a lot of people, their baseline is anxiety, right? So mm -hmm. they're experiencing anxiety. The things they're doing to distract themselves are a layer on top of that anxiety, or even more so, the way in which they're trying to cope with the anxiety, mm -hmm. right? So we might think of this as, oh, that's just pleasure-seeking behavior. Oftentimes, it's actually anxiety avoidance, behavior mm -hmm. so to your point it's not that sitting down quietly with oneself doesn't manifest or, or or bring anxiety into creation right it's not like it fell out of the sky because you decided to be quiet it's because it's percolating in your consciousness exactly and I've even had a lot of clients, um, especially, you know, if you grow up in chaotic households where let's say there was, you know, abuse for a lot of them, they don't like silence because that was kind of the calm before the storm. And that brings back a lot of those feelings. So, there's, you know, they're always incessantly talking or turning on music or TV just to not have that silence. But that silence is really important to become comfortable with and to recognize 
hey, I don't like the silence due to my past trauma. And maybe that's an area that needs to be explored and worked upon, or else you're just constantly running away from it. And then it's only going to increase and become even more terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's the other paradox of anxiety, right? The avoidance of anxiety intensifies the anxiety. Exactly. And and the, the this is where we're very counterintuitive around experiences that we describe often as negative. Because the second that you put anxiety, stress, depression into the bucket of negative, you're already in a very unhealthy relationship to what's going on in your inner experience, mm-hmm. right? And, and by definition, your brain is also hardwired to say negative equals bad, bad are things to avoid. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a very subtle paradox that's sometimes very hard to describe in words, this idea that you have to go in to get out. Yes. That you have to really kind of like swim and be present with it for it to abate. For it, yes. For it to diffuse. Right? Because it's, it's in fact, you know, there's, there's that, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. This, mm-hmm. this idea that the, the, the anxious experience or the fearful experience is not the problem. The problem is how you're responding to it. Yes. Can you can you explain that in in like the simplest lay language you can find that the difference between understanding that it's not the anxiety or the experience of anxiety that's a problem it's how we're reacting to the experience of anxiety that's the challenge. Well, and I think that, you know, anxiety has such this negative context where people are always saying, you know, I have anxiety and it's terrible, but anxiety can actually be used for a lot of positive things. So everyone needs some sort of of anxiety, which is technically fear, right, in order to protect ourselves and keep ourselves safe. So if, you know, we're driving and we have absolutely no anxiety, that can lead to, you know, an accident happening. If we are crossing the street and a car is approaching and we're, you know, okay with it, danger can happen. Um, Let's say you're having a presentation and you're getting very anxious and nervous about it. You then, you know, might not prepare for it However, the anxiety can be used in a positive way of, okay, now I'm going to prepare for this um, presentation and be successful at it. So anxiety can actually push us to work harder to, you know, create a safe place for ourselves and protect ourselves. So it's not always necessarily negative, but one extreme to the other, that's where it becomes problematic when it becomes all consuming and we don't know how to cope effectively. Mm. I honestly love this conversation. I feel like I could talk about this for hours. I think it's like so, so pivotal to a a radical shift in consciousness. Yes, there's so much there. There's a lot there to unpack. I really hope that this is just as a starting point for people to think differently about their inner experience, how we qualify that inner experience. And, and And this, none of this, I think, just to add a footnote is none of this is to be flippant about people who are dealing with very severe anxiety and very severe depression. It can feel like just this massive tidal wave of stuff. We get that. And no one's saying that anxiety is not a real experience and depression is not a real experience. We're simply talking about ways that we can approach it that allows for some of that uh, intensity to calm down. Like what are some new ways of in which we can think about, and, and this is very popular in, many psychological paradigms, particularly in things like acceptance and commitment therapy, where we talk differently and think differently uh, 
uh, and and I think this is another reason why people turn on to mindfulness and meditation because even within the Eastern traditions, particularly around you know Buddhist traditions, there's a con- there's a different conception of the experience of anxiety. Um, so just important starting point for thinking differently and feeling differently about our experiences. Alana, I get to run you through the gauntlet that is the LifeCast oh. questionnaire. Okay. Don't be anxious. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> be anxious. I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> just lean, lean into it. Um, <laughs> tell me, what's your favorite quality in a person? I love honesty because that's all part of therapy is, you know, talking about those deep seated, difficult conversations that aren't always easy or, you know, comfortable. However, when we can get to a place where we can just be open and vulnerable, no matter what it sounds like, I really appreciate that. Is there a mantra or one idea that guides your life, something that you turn back to pretty frequently to make you feel grounded? I like to just say to myself, you know, I'm here, I'm present, and I'm doing the best that I can for myself in this moment. Mm, love that one. I might, uh, might borrow that, take a note on that. <laughs> you um, can quote. <laughs> we'll give you full rights. TM, we'll TM it. Um, is there one person in particular that's influenced how you see the world? Someone that comes to mind that's had just a really profound influence on you? Yeah, I would have to say my father. He definitely keeps me grounded and within reality. And he's definitely guided me in a lot of areas in my life. And I would accredit him to where I am today. Hmm. Love great dads. Is there <laughs> is there one area of your life right now where you're doing some very focused uh, personal growth work? Yes, I'm constantly trying to, you know, self-improve and look at some of those character flaws that we all have um, that sometimes we cannot be so aware of. Um, so right now I'm actually doing a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy with myself and kind of looking at some of my distortions that have, you know, been present, but maybe I'm not so conscious or aware of. Um, so I've definitely been working on that, you know, a lot of like black and white thinking, overgeneralizing, and just kind of recognizing when it comes into my mind or when I can hear the language that I'm using in certain situations and just trying to be more mindful of that. Mm-hmm. If, if I gave you 24 hours to just be able to experience the world through another perspective, who or what would you want to be for that 24 hours? Ooh, that's a tough one. So many great individuals out there. Could be, um, could be a thing too. Could could be whatever you want. Like you want to be a tree for a day, no problem. You want to be a gopher for a day, great. <laughs> any perspective you want. Any type of perspective. You know, I think I'd want to go back in time. So I would want to be um, maybe an elderly person who experienced, you know, harder times, harder ships. Um, you know, back in the 30s, let's say, maybe who experienced the war. I think that that would be a really interesting perspective just to see how our world now can relate to then and just how different it is as well. Mm-hmm. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? I'd want to be invisible. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, have to, you'd have to wield that superpower very responsibly. Yes, it could lead to some danger for sure. <laughs> Well, I mean, the irony of our conversation is that while you'd love to have the superpower of feeling invisible, I know through your professional work that you help people actually f- feel very visible in their lives, which I think is the gift that you give people 
in the work that you do privately, in the way that you support the community on Huddle, in the way that you provide one-to-one support in our video sessions network on Huddle. So I want to thank you for all of that and thank you for the gifts that you shared with us today. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So you can stay connected and continue learning with Alana in our community on huddle.com. Her handle on Huddle, and she's, I think, done this as a wonderful another gift for everyone because she shortened it for everyone, is at Alana Bloom. So I-L-A-N-A-B-L-U-M-E. Thankfully, she didn't use her full name. That would have been much more difficult for me to (laughs) communicate. Um, For those that are new to Huddle, Huddle is a place to meet amazing people who are sharing wisdom, finding support, and becoming the best versions of themselves. This has been the Huddle.com Lifecast. I want to thank you for tuning in and thank you for turning on to your lives. 